Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We'll focus on verses 27 through 31 this morning as we study God's Word, as we look at it collectively together. Hey, I have a confession to make. I guess it's a good time around Christmas to make certain confessions. Uh, It's a good time to kind of take evaluation of your life, maybe even think about the year past and the things that are going on. So I'll go ahead and make a confession to you this morning. I watch too much cable news. Now, I don't know if any of you all have this problem or not, but I just, I, I can just dwell on certain stations. I mean, they are like my favorites, right? Ladies, I see some of you like uh, nudging your husbands right now, the way it is around your house. I was getting ready for this morning, obviously, and this week uh, I'd kind of had a couple days where I could go hunting, and a friend of mine introduced me to uh, the National Geographic Wildlife channel. Have you ever seen any of that on DirecTV? It's like 283. You ever looked at it before? I had never seen it before. I'll be honest with you. I'd never seen it before, but it was like Big Cat Week. And I was watching all these different things like the jaguars and the lions and all this. And I came home and, you know, like I couldn't get enough of it last night. I was trying to find it, see if I could watch a little bit of that this morning. I turned it on and I was watching. Rhett came in and he was like, oh yeah, this is cool. It's lion versus man. I said, see, this is good stuff. Leslie was looking at it like, hey, I don't care. As long as it's not on Fox News, I'm okay with this right now. I watch too much CNN. I watch too much Fox News. I watch so many of these things. And and we're saturated with news today, aren't we? I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to get inundated with the news of the day. I mean, you can be in your car. You can hear the radio. You can stream it off of your devices. Look, some of us have those little updates on our phones that just automatically feed us the news and tell us what's happening. We see it all around us. And I will, again, admit that when I watch too much of this, oftentimes I feel my spirit just a little disheartened. When I see the news that I see around me, when I see the things that are going on, and when I see the different stations, and and listen, how you, you hear the different opinions of different individuals, you begin perhaps to sink in your spirit just some. I think it does impact us. But this is the great word of Christmas. And that is that when we come to Christmas, we're not celebrating bad news. We're not celebrating, hold on, fake news. We're celebrating true good news in Jesus Christ. And you don't miss that. You don't miss that this season... We are about rejoicing. We are about celebrating because of Jesus Christ. Because I want you to hear this so clearly today. Jesus is the good news. It's not, he's not about the good news. He's not simply telling us the good news. He himself is the good news. And that's what we see in the scripture. I want you to, again, look here in the gospel of Mark. And Mark had already told us in chapter 1, verse 1, some weeks ago when we read it, He had already said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel being the good news. 
Mark says, I want you to know that I am bringing to you the good news. And he is relating that in everything that Jesus does, in his ministry, in his teaching. He has already shown us that he is the good news. He's already been laying the foundation for us. And then we get to this pivotal moment of confession. When we hear through the confession of Peter, the great news that Jesus is the Christ. He is. Listen to this. Verse 27 says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus and his disciples are heading north, about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. You'll find Caesarea Philippi. It's a beautiful area. It's the, really the headwaters of the Jordan that you'll find there in, this, in Caesarea Philippi. And you'll see it rich in religious and political activity. When you go up to Caesarea Philippi, you would be reminded that there during the time of Dan and his descendants, the Hebrews worshipped there in that area. Unfortunately, Jeroboam and others distorted the worship of the one true God, and they introduced pagan Baal worship into the area. And even later on, the Greeks would introduce a worship of Pan, the god Pan, into that area. And religious activity took place all around this city. Well, Herod the Great, he knew that it was a place of religious significance. And what did he do? He built a temple to the emperor himself there. A temple to institute emperor worship in that area. Herod's son, Philip, would come in. He would improve upon that. And, of course, give us the name Caesarea Philippi. So it's in the midst of all that religious activity, in the midst of all that political setting, if you will, that Jesus decides to pointedly ask his disciples a question of consequence. Listen to what he does. He's there with them on the road. He looks at his disciples, it says in verse 27, and he says to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So again, Jesus just having this frank conversation. Don't you just love this? He just has this frank conversation with his disciples. And he says, hey, I, I know we've been together for a while. I know we've been, you, you've been hearing me teach and minister. You've seen me heal people. You've seen all these things. Let me just ask you, I mean, if I were to go out and take a, an opinion poll, who would people say that I am? And the disciples, I mean, they were esteeming him and recognizing that he was from God. He says, people, they know that you're from God. I mean, a lot of people, they just, they recognize there's something special in your life. It's like you're on par with John the Baptist. Or perhaps you are Elijah again, or one of the prophets. There's nothing wrong to be compared to Jonathan Baptist or Elijah or maybe one of the prophets. I mean, today, if people were to say, hey, you're, you're kind of, to me, like a modern-day Isaiah or Jeremiah, I mean, you would take that as a compliment, right? Yeah. I left you. I lost some of you after fake news, I think. I, I think I did. But, yeah, if somebody said, hey, we believe that there is some type of 
prophet quality in you that you represent God. Because that's what a prophet did. A prophet of the Old Testament in particular was a spokesman for the covenant. He was to go to the people of Israel and remind them of what God had agreed to. What God said he would do for his people. And also remind the people of the responsibilities that they had before God. So this, in a way, is a compliment that the people are looking around and they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, hey, there's something distinctive about his life. There's something distinctive about his character. He is from God. But then Jesus cannot just leave it there. Because Jesus is not always interested in the opinion polls. Rather, Jesus wants to dig deeper. He wants to dig into their heart. He wants to dig into their psyche. He wants to understand who they believe that he is. So he just asked the question, verse 29. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? In the original language, that word you is in the prominent position here. It means, hey, you, you, you. Who do you say that I am? You tell me. I know what you just said. You just regurgitated the information. Hey, teachers, don't you love it like when the student, when you're teaching them, and you'll say, well, what, what, what do you think about that? And all of a sudden, the student will tell you what this person believed about it and what this person in history believed about it, and they just kind of beat around the bush. That was kind of the way it was sometimes in my doctoral work. A lot of people had good information. They, they knew all about the subject. The professor would ask them a question and, you know, they would be able to regurgitate, boom, 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 boom. And the professor would finally grow a little tired and the professor would be like, okay, I got all that. Remember, I did my PhD work too. I got that information. Tell me what you believe based upon that information. And it's kind of like Jesus saying this here. You tell me now. You speak to me. You put it in your own words. You reflect your heart. Peter answered. No surprise, right? Peter's the spokesman. The self-proclaimed spokesman. Peter's always the one who seems to offer the explanation or always the first to bring some type of answer. He answered and he said to him, You are the Christ. You are the Christ. Matthew tells us. says you are the Christ. The son of the living God. You are the son. Of God. The Christ. What a wonderful confession. What a confession. For Peter to make. And we know again. Based upon Matthew's account of this. That the Holy Spirit gave Peter this insight. Remember Jesus will look at Peter. And he'll, he'll say to him. Hey, just know that flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Why did he do that? Because, because Peter, he was just filled with this stinking pride. I'm sorry to use that word. I used it Wednesday night and some of the Pope people looked at me like, you, you used the word stinking in such an address? Yes, I did. Because sometimes our pride just stinks. Actually, it always stinks before God. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said, hey, just know you didn't do that on your own. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. My Father has revealed that to you. 
the Spirit of God, with the Father's illumination, had given Peter this great confession. And what's in this confession? What's, what would be the good news? The good news is that Jesus came and that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. This would be incredible news. It's so hard for us, I think, sometimes to go back and to place ourselves in that first century world, especially in that Jewish context. I think it is so difficult for us to even think about how they were taught about the Messiah that would come, the Christ that would come. Remember, the Greek is Christ, the Hebrew is Messiah. Both in the same, it means, they mean the anointed one. This king that would come one day. They were so looking forward to it. They would teach their children. They would tell their families about the hope of the Christ. The hope of the Messiah. For thousands of years, the Messiah, the Christ, had been prophesied. I believe you can all, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The proto-gospel, some people call it. The first of the good news. You remember Genesis 3? Oh yeah, we had made a mess. We try to steer away from that chapter, don't we? It's not the best. Actually, it's one of the lowest moments in human history. Where Adam gives in to sin itself. And we remember the consequences that come to Adam, to Eve, and even to the serpent. But in that litany of consequences, do you remember the hope that is there? The good news? Hey, to you, the woman, your seed, he will bruise the head of the serpent. And yes, his heel will be bruised in the process, but he will, in effect... Deal with this evil. He will deal with this evil one and he will destroy him. That was the first, in a sense, of this great gospel proclamation. And throughout the Old Testament, we were told of the one that would come. Whether it was Moses reminding us that there would be a new prophet, just a, a new Moses that would come, a new deliverer. Whether we would read about how there would be one who would come in the line of David and David's household would live forever through this individual. Whether it would be in Micah. Remember those words as we have read them probably already this holiday season, this Christmas season. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. And now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace." The proclamation that there was one that was coming. That there was one that was coming. They looked every day. The, the children were taught 
the adults would speak of the hope of the Messiah, especially as oppression seemed to rain down upon them more and more, they would think about the Messiah. They would think about the Christ. You've probably anticipated things before. I mean, you had something good coming up, and you kind of lived in anticipation. A little bit, some. Get to go hunting on Thursday evening. Anticipated, right? Come on. I thought we'd break out in glory this today. I mean, revival. Get a hunting trip. You're anticipating. Wives, come on. You're anticipating. You're anticipating that hunting trip because you can go do some other things, right? Because he is gone. Anticipation. Maybe it's a trip coming up. You're going to Disney World. You got the calendar. You're knocking it down. You know you're going to get to go. Many other trips. You're anticipating certain things. You, you get excited about those. End of school. Where are my students? End of school. Amen. I heard you, David. Right there, bro. And you know what? If some of the teacher's principals weren't sitting in close proximity, you would have seen them shout right then. I promise you. I live with one, and it is time to be out. And we're anticipating the end of school. Well, and of course, Christmas. We're in that season. I mean, the things that we anticipate, we anticipate Christmas. I, I tried to think back through this about the anticipation I had, especially when I was younger. I, I loved Christmas. Yes, I loved it because I was out of school. Yes, I, I did love it for that reason. But also I loved it just because it seemed like it was a great spirit around. It was wonderful. You went to church and they'd sing the carols. And I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed going and, and, and worshiping. Even as a young child, I did. I, I loved being able to gather with the family you know, my family always kind of gathered together on Christmas Eve night. That was our time together. Let me say to you that when I moved to Picayune and we had Christmas Eve service, the first... You ever told Mama you're not coming home for Christmas Eve? Ugh. They were going to cancel the whole thing because we weren't coming home. And I was to blame, the prodigal preacher. <laughs> My Aunt Barbara had no children, but I was like one of hers. And she would call me afterwards. I'll never forget. Mama talked to Aunt Barbara. Aunt Barbara called me and said, what are you doing? So what do you mean? Said, you're not coming home for Christmas Eve, I hear. Said, no, ma'am. Why are you not coming home? Because we have a service at the church. We have Christmas Eve service. And so, well, I'm the new pastor. I got to be here for this service. I was listening to Dr. Charles Stanley the other day. Reggie, do you know Dr. Stanley? Well, I don't know him personally, but I know who you're talking about. You know what he said the other day? Because you believe he's a man of God, don't you? Yeah, he's a man of God. And you heard what he said. I, well, I must not have heard that message. What are you, what are you trying to get to? Dr. Stanley said the other day that the family was instituted before the church was instituted. Genesis, go back and read it. And if you want to be biblical, 
The family would come first in your life over the church. I just surrendered. I'm just telling you. Aunt Barbara and Mama coming against me, I just surrendered. I didn't go home that day, but I did surrender. Just said I couldn't have those conversations. But, you know, there was something about the family gathering together. And it was neat. Listen, when I was younger, that was about the only time that all of us came together. And I would anticipate it. I would, I would go and, you know, it's just a little house at my granny's house. And we had gifts. We would pass out to everybody. I got to pass out the gifts to everybody. I was like the youngest of the grandchildren at the time. My little sister came along later, but she wasn't reliable for much, still not. And anyway, we just kind of like, I would pass it out. And it was great. It was great. I felt like I was part of the family. I was giving, I love that. Hey, waking up on Sunday, on uh, Christmas morning, we would wake up and uh, I would immediately run to our den, which was, I mean, it was at the father's part of the house from my, from my bedroom. I would run through and I remember coming around, coming around that door frame and seeing the stuff that had been put there around that Christmas tree. Man, I loved Christmas. I anticipated it. There's a part of me that still, one of, one of my boys this morning said, next week, Christmas Eve. Christmas. It's a great moment, great time to anticipate things. Some of you can probably identify with, especially those early years that I had where I just looked forward to Christmas. But if you were to take that anticipation and multiply it exponentially, you would never get to the excitement, the hope, and the anticipation that the Jewish people had for their Christ. Their Messiah. That he would come. That he would come. So listen to this again. Peter, the spokesman for the disciples. The Peter. He says, you are the Christ. You are the one. Yes, there are all kinds of, all kinds of other opinions out there. I know that we're in Caesarea Philippi where... Everything seems to have happened and been worshipped here in this area. But I want you to know that we believe that you are the Christ. You're the one that we've waited for. You're the one that our grandparents talked about. You are the Messiah. And that's good news. It is the good news that the angels declared when they said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It was the announcement that heavenly host, those heavenly anchors who spoke the news of Jesus' birth, that this was the good news that the Christ had come. Jesus fulfilled. In one sense the expectation of the Christ Messiah. Because he was the Christ the Messiah. And he brings us great joy because of that. He is still the Christ and the Messiah today. He is still the one that was promised. He is still the one that will bring deliverance. But get this. 
Well, Jesus was the Christ, and yes, he fulfilled that ministry, that person. He also disappointed some of their expectations. I just told you, he, in some sense, he fulfilled it. He did, because he was the Christ. But in other ways, he disappointed. But this is what I love. God can take our disappointments, and he can bring good news out of them. What do you mean by this? Look at verse 31. Well, verse 30, he had told no one to speak about that at that moment. Remember? His time had not come for the passion, for the suffering. But look at this verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. So all of a sudden, after... He has accepted this confession of faith that he is the Christ. He begins telling them that he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Good news is, is the Christ is here, the Messiah. He's, he's going to deliver us. But you just said you're about to suffer. Be rejected. Whoa. This is not the expectation we had of the Messiah. This is not fitting what we had envisioned. You don't believe me? Even this Peter, who had made such a great confession, in verse 32, pulls Jesus aside to talk to him about what he's saying. Kind of to correct him, you know? Can Can you see it like, Jesus out there telling the, and it's like Peter comes, hey, Jesus, I, I, think, I think we need to have a talk just a minute. Do you mind come over? Just, just come over here just a minute. You know that stuff you say? Yeah, I wouldn't say that stuff. You know, and that, come on, that, that's, that's not going to happen. You are the Messiah, remember? You're the Christ. You're not, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to die. You're going to deliver us. Remember what the scripture teaches us? I mean, we're, we're told that you're the deliverer. And we've been looking forward to you for so long. I mean, ever since the kingdom of of Solomon had been torn, ever since then, and through Assyrian dominance and Egyptian dominance and the Babylonians, through the Persians, through the Greeks, and yes, even now through the Romans, we've been looking forward to a king that would come and deliver us from this oppression. We want a military warrior, a military leader. Don't be out there telling people you're going to die. Jesus looks at him and says, Have I called you Satan lately? Because Satan, you need to get behind me. You need to get out of my face. Because he disappointed their expectations of Messiah. For while everyone anticipated the great Messiah to come, most all of them had this concept of the Messiah, the concept of a king, warrior, who would come and throw off all of these earthly dominations and lead the people of Israel back to the glory days of Solomon, or even before the King David. That's what they had envisioned. 
Well, that sounds like bad news. I mean, how could you make good news out of this? Because we've read the rest of Mark. Because we've read the rest of the New Testament. Because so many of us in this place, because we've accepted the good news. And we know that this is good. It may seem disappointing to, to Peter. It may not seem like God could bring good out of this. But we know better. We know that we had a greater need than earthly dominations. We were spiritually dominated. We were spiritually enslaved. Friends, I'm not speaking against my fellow brothers in, in any way or whatever, because yes, I do believe we should be salt and light of the world, and we ought to be involved in the civic processes, and we need to do all those kinds of things. Hear me say that clearly, but let me say to you, our enemy is not flesh and blood. We are not here to gain kingdoms on this earth. We are not here to promote our own candidates or our own... That, that's not the ultimate purpose. If, if that had been the purpose, Jesus would have just come back and he would have fulfilled their own expectations and he would have been that great mighty warrior king who had led Israel into the glory that she so desired. That was not our greatest need. Our greatest need was salvation and forgiveness and life. And that is the reason the Messiah came to suffer, to be rejected, to be killed. I've read it to you before in many different settings. Dr. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite writers, penned it this way. He said, if our greatest need had been information... God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, yes, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. That's the type of Christ. That's the type of king. That is the type of Messiah that has come for us. And that is good news. Because the scripture says, yes, he died for us. We understand that on the cross of Calvary, he paid the debt that you and I could never pay. All of us have sinned and come short of our glory or his glory. That is all of us have done that. But what Jesus did is fulfill every requirement of the Father on the cross, every requirement of the sacrifice, so that you and I would not have to pay the penalty of death, that we would not be eternally separated from the Father, but that we could have life in Him. And He punctuated that life of the Messiah through the resurrection to let us know that we have the power of forgiveness and salvation. I got to go to Caesarea Philippi a few years ago. I look forward to going back in, in March or so. 
And it's hard for you to see in this picture. I, I was trying to capture it, but the headwaters of the Jordan there at Caesarea Philippi. Of course, the rock, and that's a story for a different day as Jesus spoke to Peter about the confession. I think the confession that Jesus is the Christ is what we are founded upon. No man, no person. No, it is upon Jesus himself and that foundation. But do you remember what he said as well about the church? In this moment there in Matthew, what did he say? He said, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades itself will not prevail against the church. Caesarea Philippi, this was kind of the grotto of pain. People thought that you could go into the underworld through this cave. You could find Hades itself. I've always envisioned that if Jesus had not been standing there, he at least had this context in the background. That when Jesus looked around, it was almost like he pointed and said, and by the way, all these spiritual things that come against you, all this, all this grief and difficulty, all the spiritual warfare, all the other things, all that, that is not going to prevail against you. Why? Because we are built upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ. And that through the resurrection power, He has given us life and He has given us salvation. Because Jesus took the suffering and transformed it into a life-giving mission for us. And today, we celebrate good news. Because the Messiah came. And we thank God that He disappointed the expectations of the day. Because He gave us something so much better than a warrior king. He gave us a worthy king that delivered us from our sins themselves. That's the good news. First, you have to ask yourself, though, or let him just pose the question to you. Let him do it. Let him just ask you pointedly right now, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? He doesn't want to know what your grandmama said. He doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to know what the preacher said. He wants to know what you said. Who am I, he says to you. I pray that everyone in this place that's come to the conviction of Christ in their hearts and lives, everyone will have said, you are the Christ. Your son of the living God. I believe it with everything I have. And trust him in faith. It's the only way to salvation. Pray you do that. And for those of us who have, tell them. Everybody you come in contact with, you tell them that he is the good news. And you share it with them this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you this morning. We thank you 
for sending your one and only son for us, to provide for us, to give us the hope, to give us the assurance of salvation, forgiveness, and life itself. God, today in this place, we who are Christians, we are moved. We are who are followers of, of you. Lord, we are moved by the good news, the great joy that you have given to us. We never deserved it, nor will we ever deserve it. But God, you loved us. You sent your son for us. And I pray that we will shout that to the mountaintops this Christmas. Christmas is not just about the gifts. It's not just about the family time. It's not just about these other things that we love and we anticipate, but God, we know. It is about a celebration of your son, our Savior. Father, move upon the hearts of those who have never just personally committed themselves to you. Help them be saved. Those of us who are, reaffirm our commitment and help us to share your good news. In Jesus' name we pray it now. Amen. Would you stand?